These words that uh, Jennifer just read are from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi almost 2,000 years ago. And uh, it was a church whose beginning you can read about sometime either later today or sometime this week in Acts chapter 16. And when you have an opportunity to read Acts chapter 16, you'll see that that it was not a large group of people at the beginning, uh, as there was this woman named Lydia, who was a uh, businesswoman who kind of bankrolled this church. And then there was a jailer who Paul and Silas witnessed to when they were in jail there. And if you know the story, you know that Paul and Silas were put in jail for their faith because they were telling others about Jesus. And uh, there, as they were in jail, they were worshiping God. And in the midst of their worship time, God sent an earthquake. And suddenly the uh, doors of the jail opened and the jailer, who thinks that the prisoners are all escaping, draws out his sword and he's about ready to kill himself. And the reason he is about ready to do that, because in that day, Roman law said that if someone was a jailer and they had people under their care in the jail, if those people escaped, that jailer would then have to take the punishment that was going to be given to those prisoners. And so the jailer, knowing that, is about ready to take his own life. And suddenly Paul calls out to him in the dark and he says, hey, don't harm yourself. We're not escaping. Your life isn't going to be at stake. And that night, Paul has an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with this man and with his family. And, and the scripture tells us that, that both the jailer and his family come to faith in Christ. And that's the beginning of this little church in Philippi. And you know, the church, as it got going, didn't have a whole lot of help uh, because there really weren't a lot of other Christian churches in the nearby vicinity to it. But you see, this is the first church in Europe. This is the first church on the European continent. And at the same time, they didn't have a lot of help because they're living in an area that's pretty tough to, to share Christ with others. Uh, you see, people in that area were Roman citizens who had come from Rome and had settled. They were settling these outposts on the European continent. And, and so the people who were living in Philippi uh, essentially were people who were into power. And they were into wealth and they were into status. That's what they were drawn to as Roman citizens. And, and along with that, there was this, in this area, this smorgasbord approach to religion. As the, as the people there were very pluralistic. There were some local gods who people worshipped. There was emperor worship going on there. There were people who were worshipping Roman gods and Greek gods and Syrian gods and Egyptian gods. And, and so you see, it's a, a pretty strange place religiously. And in the midst of that, you have this one church standing alone on the whole European continent. And this little church begins to grow. Slowly, but it grows. Well, after ministering there and getting this little church started and up and running, Paul then went on to uh, move to a next place where God was calling him to plant a church. And, and, and while he's there, away from Philippi, he writes a letter to the Philippian people. And, and you can imagine when the people receive this letter from their church planning pastor, they're excited. And, uh, and so they read this letter to the church. And the letter starts out by saying in verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Paul and Timothy, he says, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, what Paul does here is something that's pretty unique to his writings. For almost always, when he writes a letter, he starts that letter by laying out his credentials. He almost always starts his letters by saying, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't do that here. You see, he wants to teach people what it means to be a servant. That's one of the points of his letter. There's a lot of stuff in this letter about being a servant to others. And, and it's stuff that will change our life if we'll let it. And, and so Paul models this servant attitude when he writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, in a few minutes, we'll talk about what he says next as he gives thanks to God for those people. But, but before we do that, let's look at verses 9 through 11 because there in these introductory words of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he, he prays for them. And, and look at what he says. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And I love what comes next. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, Paul's prayer for them, first of all, is that they will grow in their love for God, that, that they will pursue a relationship with Christ in, in such ways that as they grow closer to Christ, they will also grow in their understanding of God. And then he says, out of the result of that relationship, that they would be able to discern what was best for their life, for their faith, for their church community. In other words, what he's saying, that they would be able to discern God's vision for them. God's vision for them. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, I don't want you to settle for just okay, but I want you to grow and thrive. I want you to grow and thrive as a child of God, but I also want you to grow and thrive as a church community. I want your church to grow. I want it to thrive because you see, when God creates living organisms, which is what the church is, his goal, his plan, his intention is that it grows and thrives. You know, a few weeks ago when it was snowing like crazy on Palm Sunday, later that afternoon I talked to a good friend of mine who's a pastor out on the West Coast, and he was telling me how the trees were blossoming, and it was so nice out there, you know, beautiful white blossoms. And as he's telling me this, I'm thinking, yeah, well, you know, our trees are not blossoming here right now. They might be filled with white stuff, but it isn't blossoms. You know, it's like white death. You know, the older I get, I, I, I joke about how I really dislike uh, snow and cold. And, and I was jokingly talking to someone in church the other day about the freezing cold spring that we're having that's going to just happen to lead into blazing hot 115 days when everything's going to burn up. You know, and I, I said to them, I said, you know, I'm beginning to think that it's not God's will for people like us to live in places like this, you know. <laughs> I think we all need to move to Southern California, plant a church there, all of us, you know where the weather is beautiful year-round. Now, now, I'm joking about this, but, but, you know, folks, God's plan, God's intention is that living things thrive. That's His design. 
That's why when a baby is born, it's amazing, isn't it, to, to watch them grow. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's like the miracle of growth. A baby's weight will triple in its first year of life. I watched this happen with our own kids, and I thought as I did the math, wow, if this continues, they're going to be 650 pounds by the time they're four years old, you know? But, but seriously, the miracle of growth and thriving is God's desire. And that's what God is saying to us here. That's what he's saying to the Philippian people when he says, I want you to discern what is God's best for your life, for your church, for your community. You know, in the medical world, there's an acronym that I've heard that is used on rare occasions to talk about why a child who is born goes into decline for no apparent reason. And sometimes they die. And the acronym that is used at times in the medical community by some is, is, is the letters FTT. And it stands for failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. Very sad letters. Paul would say to us today, that's not God's plan for us as, his fo- as, as followers of Christ. That's not God's plan for this church. That's not God's plan for this community. And, and so in the rest of our message this morning, I want us to focus on two gifts that, that God gives to the church at Philippi. Two gifts that God gives to you and to me today as his people that Paul mentions in these verses this morning. Gifts that will help us as it helped them thrive as God's people and as a church. And first, God says, or Paul says, he gives them a mission, something to do, something glorious to achieve. And and then he says, God gives us a promise, something for us to look forward to. And if you're taking message notes, either in the worship guide this morning or maybe on that app, Jim, boys with your toys, have at it. And you're following along uh, on that YouVersion app. We'll see here the first of these gifts that uh, God gives to us to thrive as his people in church. And the first is the mission. And if you're filling in blanks, put in that word mission. Mission. You know, the famous business educator and consultant, Peter Drucker, once said that when people band together around a mission, they've got to ask themselves, what business are we in? And if someone was to ask us this morning, what uh, you know, business are we in as a church? What would we say? What would we say? Well, Paul talks about that when he talks about our mission, the business we're in. When he says in verses 3 through 5, I-, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he saying? He's saying that we are partners together with one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That is what God gives us to help us thrive. Now, the word gospel today is a, is a terribly misunderstood word, isn't it? Uh, in our culture and in our day today, it's become a religious word. And, and so do people outside the Christian faith, uh, phrases like gospel singers or gospel preachers conjure up for them in their minds, what, you know, polyester suits, you know, the big hairdos, uh, manipulative messages. But in Paul's day, this wasn't even a religious word. It, it simply 
meant good news. And it was a word that people in the culture used all the time to talk about something that they knew that they wanted to spread around and share that was good news. Now, now the good thing about good news is, is that it spreads, doesn't it? I mean, when a great new restaurant opens here in town, what happens? People talk about it. When a fabulous movie hits the screen, there's a bit of a buzz about it. If a gas station ever decided to one day have a, uh, you know, a dollar per gallon sale, we'd all know about it, wouldn't we? Good news spreads. But, but folks, the, the best news ever is the news about Jesus. It's the good news that God loved the world so much that that he became a human being in the form and the person of Jesus. It's the news that Jesus lived and, and taught us how to live for God. And then at the end of his life, he died on a cross to take on the eternal consequences and punishment of your sin and mine. And then on that first Easter Sunday morning, he was resurrected from that grave so that death would be defeated. So that it would be possible for us to live in heaven with God forever. When this earth suit that you and I walk around in. When this earthly body dies and decays. And yet in the time between now and then when we go to heaven. We get to live life in this community. Called the church. Where there's hope for the poor. Where there's help for the sick. Where there's liberty. For those who are oppressed and stuck. In the midst of spiritual and emotional pain. And I got to say, that is good news. That's good news. And that's our business as a church, isn't it? It's to spread the good news. We are in the good news business. We exist not primarily to hold services or run programs, but our mission is to help people who don't know Jesus meet Him, fall in love with Him, receive His forgiveness and grace in their life, put their trust and faith in Him and follow Him for their lives. That's why we exist. And it's important, isn't it? It's important for a church to understand its mission if it's going to thrive. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Nantucket Island. I know Wanda Macy, if she and her family are here this morning, they... They know Nantucket Island very well because they have direct relatives who were some of the first settlers on that island. But Nantucket Island is a famous island off the coast of Massachusetts. And and it first made its fame as a whaling community. Uh, People who settled there became whalers and they went out and they hunted whales at a time when people uh, depended on whale oil. Now, there's a museum there on Nantucket Island that Vanessa and I went to a few years ago, and it has displays that are devoted to an organization that got started a couple centuries ago. A couple centuries ago, travel by sea was very dangerous as violent storms could come up easily and dash ships against the rocky New England coast. And and so lives could often be lost just a short distance from shore. And so a group of volunteers on the island 
went into the life-saving business and and they banded together and they formed what is called or what was back then called the Humane Society. And what they did was they built these little huts of refuge that dotted the coast all along Nantucket. And then during storms, people would uh, get into those huts and they would watch the sea. And whenever a ship was in trouble with a storm just off the coast, they'd, they'd spread the word out and volunteers would come and they would risk their lives. And they'd get into lifeboats and go out and rescue as many people as they could. And they did it for no money. They did it for no recognition. But simply because they prized human life. And to remind them of what was at stake and how serious they were about this, they adopted a motto. And I got to tell you, I love this motto. It really fascinates me. Their motto was, you've got to go out but you don't have to come back. <laughs> Those are sobering words, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, you, would, you, you wouldn't think that would be a very good recruiting slogan. You got to go out, but you don't got to come back. But you know, it was. And it's fascinating in this museum to read the accounts of people who would risk everything they had, risk even their very life to save people they had never met, people whose faces they had never seen before. But then over time, things began to change as the Coast Guard got started. And and at first, the Coast Guard and this life-saving society worked hand in hand and side by side. But but pretty soon, the attitude uh, began to become, hey, you know, let's let the professionals do it. They're better trained. That's what they're paid for. And volunteers stopped manning the little huts. They stopped searching the coastline for sinking ships. And they stopped sending people out to rescue those who were going down. And, you know, I I found it interesting that they couldn't bring themselves to disband. That the life-saving society continues to meet to this day. Do you realize that? They they continue to have dinners every year in the city of Boston. And and they enjoy each other's company. And they they give uh, awards out and, and for people who do community service. And, and they still exist. But they're just not in the life-saving business anymore. Folks, do you, do you know that this sometimes happens in churches today? It sometimes happens in churches. It doesn't happen in just a day or a month. It doesn't happen just even in a year's time. But but over time, a church forgets that it's in the life-saving business. And and the interesting thing about churches like this is that that they don't just disband. I, I mean, not immediately anyway. People continue to meet. They enjoy one another's company. They have services. They run programs and And sometimes they even have big endowments that can keep them going for a very long time. But somehow, 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 their focus changes. And uh, instead of looking outward for people who need help, they look inward. And they don't send out people anymore to help people who are going down. And and people in those churches don't scour their neighborhoods. They, they, They don't look throughout their offices and their marketplace and their workplace. They, they don't look amongst their families and their friends. They, they don't look amongst their classmates at school to see who it is that needs Jesus. And they forget that Jesus has put 
his rescue efforts, so to speak, into the hands of volunteers. And as a result, they, they hold services week after week and they have buildings and budgets and they hire staffs and they have programs. But they're just not in the life-saving business anymore. As they've forgotten what business they're in. And sadly enough, it's just a matter of time before you can put those letters over the doors of those churches. F-T-T. Failure to thrive. Friends, do we understand today that Jesus is looking for people who are willing to go into the life-saving business? That He's still looking for Bands of people, little communities, so to speak, who will create a hut of refuge that the church can be for those who are hurting. Now, now of course, we don't save anybody, do we? That, that's God's work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But God, you see, invites you and me to partner with Him in this endeavor. And He is inviting us as First Covenant Church to do that. And, and what that means is that as long as there's anybody here in our area and community and county who does not know Jesus, as long as there's anybody who needs the hope of the good news of the gospel, you and I are called to be out there partnering in this good news because we have a mission from God. Many of you heard of that not-too-theologically-deep movie called The Blues Brothers? <laughs> Some of you have, I can tell by your laughs. Now, I have to admit, I've only seen this movie on the cleaned-up TV version. I don't know what it's like in the non-cleaned-up version. But I remember uh, watching this movie on TV, and I've seen it a couple times, and, and there's these two characters by the name of Jake and Elwood Blues, and and they're out there trying to raise money for this school that helps kids. They're trying to save this school from going under. And, and, and they have this standard line in the movie where whenever they're asked why it is they're doing what they're doing, they always say, we're on a mission from God. That's right. We're on a mission from God. You know, all kidding aside, I want to tell you something, and I mean it as seriously as anything I have ever said on this platform, and it is that you and I are on a mission from God. This church is on a mission from God. And it is not a casual thing because we are about being people who have good news. And we have good news that will help others not spend eternity in hell separated from God if they will put their faith and their trust in Him and they will receive God's forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. And you and I have been made partners in this gospel. And when we come together as people and we say, I am going to have a heart for this world and we are going to pray for people who are going down and we're going to share our life and our faith with people. When we say, here I am, Lord, I will hold your people in my heart. When we do that, then we are giving our life to that which millions of people throughout the centuries have given their lives to. And that is the good news business. It is about, you see, being partners in the good news business. Where we help people meet and get to know and grow to love and receive and follow Jesus Christ. We are on a mission from God.
And I don't know about you, but I know for me it's a, a, a pretty daunting kind of thing. And so I am glad that, that along with calling us to partner with him in this mission, God also gives us a promise, a promise that will help us as we go through life living out this mission. And the promise, as you can see there in your notes, is that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. In the words of Paul to the Philippians, he says this in verse 6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Has any of you here ever started a good work and not finished it? (laughs) Ever do that? I know I have. And I know if we're honest, probably all of us can say that. I mean, I, I, I think about when we lived in Michigan as an example, and I was on the board of directors for the YMCA up there in the community that we lived in. And where we lived, it got really cold. Uh, most of the winter, it was below zero. And when the temperatures would get below zero, and I was training for marathons, running marathons at the time, I would run at the Y instead of outdoors. You know, I found it interesting each year in January, after uh, January 1st and all the New Year's resolutions that come from people, the Y was just packed with people, people that you didn't see much during the rest of the year. There were people on treadmills there who had not treadmilled, I got to tell you, for a very long time. There were people who were wearing spandex, who I thought as I looked at them, you should not be wearing spandex. (laughs) I mean, the Y was just filled with these kinds of people. And then along about February, it wasn't quite as full. And by March, it was even less full. And within a few months, the membership of the Y was filled with people who had started a good work, but they failed before they got to the finish line. Now, I don't think I'm alone in this, and neither are you. I mean, all of us, I'm sure, have at some point in life started a good work and not followed through. Maybe a diet that we committed ourselves to go on. Maybe a promise to be more disciplined in some area of our life. Maybe to be more organized with our time. Maybe you're one of those that, you know, has a list of home repairs that you've been determined for a while. You're going to get around to it and you haven't gotten around to it. Maybe you've made some commitment to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ by becoming more of a person who studies the word more and is in prayer more. Uh, or, or, or maybe you have uh, made some other commitment to God and you've just, you know, you've procrastinated. You've not fallen, follow, followed through on it. I, I want to say God has never done that. Whatever God starts, God completes. 2,000 years ago, God began a good work in, the, in this little town of Philippi. And he started it with a businesswoman who bankrolled the thing and, and a jailer and his family. And that was the first church on the European continent. And look at the results some 2,000 years later. Think about how the influence of Christianity spread out from Europe and the European continent and spread around the world over the last 2,000 years ago. And it all started with a little group back in Philippi. And how do you explain that? Well, you explain it with the words that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. 136 years ago, that same God began a good work here in Salina with a small group of of Swedish immigrants, Swedish Lutheran immigrants. And let me ask you, has God been faithful here at First Covenant Church? I mean, just come week after week and look at all the kids who are part of our children's ministries and 
and, and who are learning about God from teachers who are, who are caring about them and getting to know them and praying for them and building into their lives. Look at what is happening in our youth ministries and in our small group ministries. Look at how marriages are being put back together or, or people who are stuck in their pain and, and, and behaviors that come out of that pain are being helped. Look at the number of people who are involved in one of the many local ministries that we have going on here in this community. I think of just yesterday where, where we had about 100 people from our church, uh, part of the Serving Salina Together Ministries here, partnering with, with other churches in our community, reaching out to people on the north side, helping clean up their, their community and, and their neighborhoods. And we had kids from DTO, we had parents, we had families, we had life groups, individuals. Loving on people here in Salina in the name of Jesus. People came out of their homes and they were saying one after another, thank you. Thank you. What they were saying is we know now somebody cares. Well, look at what happened last night as our choir went to the Easter cantata, took their Easter cantata to the Ellsworth prison and some 200 to 300 men in prison heard the good news of the gospel through that cantata. And then I had an opportunity to stand up and, and share a gospel message with them. Speaking God's truth into the lives of people. And look at how many people from our church over the years have been going out on mission trips and, and their lives are impacted as they do. And, and they are used by God to impact the lives of others. And, and I want to say, if you want to go out on a mission trip sometime, come on back next week and hear about what God is doing in the life of our church. We're not only going to have a couple missionaries here, we're going to talk as well about the mission trips we've got coming up uh, in the next year or so. And, uh, and if you want to be part of a mission trip, come talk with me or talk to one of the point people for one of the teams and, and we'll help you do that. You know, our motto is, you know what our motto is? You've got to go out, but you don't have to come back. <laughs> uh, no, it's not really that. Be kind of exciting, wouldn't it, if it was, you know? But friends, look at what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people in this church family. And through this church and in this community as a result. You know, I don't know what all of this is going to lead to because we're not in charge of the results. That's God's deal, not ours. But I believe deep within my spirit that God is calling us to be a prayer-saturated missional church, a church where we are going deeper in Christ and further in mission, as our vision statement says, a church where we are focusing on deeply encountering God in prayer and in His Word. And then out of the overflow of that, we are becoming people who are reaching out in the name of Jesus to come alongside those around us who are lost, who are hurting and need God's healing touch and life-transforming work of grace. And you know, as I, I look at the history of this church family, I can see how God has been setting up the steps necessary for us to get to where we are today. And I can see how God is setting up steps today for where He wants us to go in the future. But you see, He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. That's why I believe that if the Apostle Paul was here today, 
he would say to us, as he said to the church at Philippi, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because we are partnering with God in the good news business. And I want to say that as a pastor here, I am so thankful as I look across the faces that are out here of people who are involved in ministry and partnering with us in the good news of the gospel. And I want to say that if you're here as one today who, who hasn't yet begun to partner with us, I want to encourage you, why don't you think about that? Think about getting involved in some kind of ministry. You know, as I close the message this morning, I got to say, I was thinking this week that that when it comes to organizations, there are really three kinds of relationships. The first relationship is that of being a customer. And customers say, hey, I, I, I want you to meet my expectations. I want you to give me what I'm asking for. And then there are employees, and, and employees generally do what they're told, don't they? They, they fulfill the job description But unfortunately, a lot of times, if it's not in their job description, there's a good chance the job's not going to get done. I mean, haven't probably all of us, maybe at some point, if we're honest, used that expression, hey, it's not my job. (laughs) But then there are partners, right? And a partner says, hey, I want to help this endeavor succeed. I'll do whatever I can do. I'll go. I'll risk. I'll serve. Just say the word. And folks, that's the life that God is calling you and me to. That's the life that God is calling us as a church family to. The life of going deeper in Christ and further in mission. So that we will be one of His partners. And we will be partners with each other. In the good news business. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, because of the consumer culture we live in, we are all drawn to being customers. But deep down inside, we know there's not a lot of joy in being a customer. We know that we experience true joy, oddly enough, when we say, I I just want to have an open hand before you, God, with my life, my time, my energy, my gifts, my money. And I want to partner with you in the good news business. So Lord, help us not to live lives where we fall into ruts and routines and just settle for what is mediocre. But help us grow deeper in our love for you as we spend time with you in prayer and in your word. And then out of the overflow of your love in our life, We pray that you would use us to help the gospel burn brighter and your church grow stronger as you who began the good work in us and in this church family will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day when you, Jesus, returns. And so we pray for that vision from you, O God, your vision for our life, our church, our family, our ministry. We pray, Jesus, that you be our vision today and tomorrow and in the days to come through the power of your Holy Spirit.